How many of you have ever uh, tried virtual reality? Anybody ever done that? You ever had that experience? You put on the goggles and the... Uh, I've done it a couple times. Uh, my son, I think a couple years ago, Asher saved up his money and got it all together and bought this headset thing. And uh, it's kind of funny to watch somebody doing it from the outside. <laughs> You're watching them kind of flailing around. But <clears throat> he said... He was telling me about different things. And he said, well, you should try this one. And so I remember I went downstairs in the basement and he had it all set up and put it on. And it was really cool. It was, uh, you're on the space station uh, orbiting the earth and you're in the space station and then you can do a spacewalk and you're looking down. And at one point I had to like sit down on the ground because I was like, <laughs> I was worried about, oh, I don't know, this is, this is kind of freaking me out a little bit. But it was pretty cool. I mean, when you get, you start to see it, you quickly see like, oh, there's a lot of possibilities with this. This is pretty cool. You're having this experience that you never thought you'd see. And you kind of see it at least in part. And I was thinking about there's a lot of cool applications and a lot of ways in which we could use that. But then as I started to think about it and since then and different things and the way it's becoming more prevalent and people are using it. It's kind of like, yeah, but there's a lot of dangerous to this, I think. Uh, You start to think about getting sucked into this virtual world that's not real. Uh, It's not the fullness of what we're living in or what we're experiencing day to day. It's it's kind of a, a, a false front that's not really there. And you start to think about what that would look like. It's it's a. It's kind of what uh, science fiction movies are based on. You, you see it all the time in this idea. Uh, the whole Matrix fan- franchise was built on this idea that we're living in a simulation and we don't know it. And you think about how it could be dangerous in some ways because in a lot of ways you're embracing something that's not fully true and you're having this experience that's not really there. I, I kept thinking about this over and over yesterday. I, I don't know if you went outside yesterday, but it was a beautiful day yesterday. And I went and walked, and as I walk and I go over my sermon and I think about it, and I was looking up at the sky and the smells and the breeze and all these things, and it's like virtual reality can't touch this, right? The reality of what's in front of you and the fullness. But we start to get into those ideas, and it's actually become a, a topic of discussion of like, could there be a point where people are living in a simulation and not knowing it? That's a philosophical idea now, and is that possible, and all these kind of things, And I've always kind of been drawn to the idea anyway, or at least thinking about it. And the reason is pretty simple because I I, I think I've been fascinated or drawn to it is because of the parallels of with the way the Bible talks about life, right? Uh, If you were here last week, Andy was preaching and he talked about the difference in the Greek words between life and the abundant life that Jesus calls us to. He says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. That word zoe in Greek means far more than just living, And I think about it in this way. Virtual reality is kind of like life in certain ways, but God's created us for a lot more than that. And so I like that analogy when you start to think about it, that we want to wake up from not just living in kind of a fake world, a virtual reality world, or or even more so. We were just talking about this morning in our equipping class, the effect our phones are having on us and staring at a screen all the time, and being sucked into to living that way rather than living to the fullness of what God has called us to. Because Jesus says over and over, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. And so I kind of think of it this way, putting the virtual reality on is kind of like living in the world ingrained in our sin, and not seeing who God is, and not seeing what he's created us for. It's narrowed the focus. We're missing so many things. And so I want us to think today about how do we live into the fullness of what we're created for. And Jesus is going to say some things here about living. uh, The parable he tells, the analogy he uses is living awake. Don't go to sleep. 
Don't go to sleep waiting on your master, but live awake. And that's a great analogy on how to think about it. And I want us to think about, well, how does that happen? What does Jesus say here that helps us to actually live awake and not asleep? To not miss the fullness of the abundant life that he calls us to. And so the way I want us to look at this text this morning is I think he tells us something here that if we even get a a glimpse of it, because I'm going to warn you, you're not going to get the fullness. I don't think any of us have the fullness. It's too good. But if we even get a glimpse of us, it can expand your vision in the way that you live in this life. And so the first thing I want us to consider is what does he tell us that can expand our vision? The second thing is he's warning us that it's easy to narrow our focus again. Right? That even as we expand our vision and we see the fullness, it's easy to go to sleep. It's easy to put the goggles back on and narrow your vision and live in a, a, just a piece of what God has for you. And so there's kind of a warning there. But then lastly, how do we stay awake? How do we stay in the fullness of what he's telling us here? And so I want us to look at that together as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 12. And so the first thing just to consider is what does he tell us here? that can help expand our vision, that can help get us to the point of living this abundant life that Jesus keeps talking about and calling us to. And so if you look at verse 32, we're kind of going back a little bit. Andy hit on this right at the end last week, but we're going to go back just a little bit to verse 32. Remember, this comes on the heels of Jesus talking about don't be anxious for your life and provision and the things that are there, but set your mind on the things that are above and focus on God's kingdom and he's got you in all this. And then he says this in verse 32, Jesus speaking here, fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, sell your possessions and give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And the first thing that I want you to consider that he's telling us is he says, there is a kingdom And if you notice, he says, it is the father's good pleasure to give you this kingdom that is far greater than anything you're focused on right now. And he tells you, set your mind on that. Turn your gaze towards that. Don't worry about building this kingdom yourself. Sell your possessions. Don't worry about building a kingdom in this earth, but there's something greater coming. Now, if you've been with us as we've been walking through the gospels, it's one of the things that keeps coming up over and over. Jesus is talking about this kingdom all the way through. The kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. He sends his disciples out. Go proclaim the kingdom. He says this over and over and over again. And everybody's trying to shrink it to be an earthly kingdom where he's going to overthrow governments and he's going to take control. They're wanting to put it into the virtual reality and it looks like this and he's going, no, 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 it's way bigger than that. Far greater than you can imagine. And he keeps saying it over and over. And he says, the father's good pleasure is to bring you this kingdom. And you go, well, what is he talking about then? If it's not an earthly kingdom and it's not overthrowing Rome and it's not them making Jesus king right here and now on earth, what is he talking about? And if you zoom out and you look at the gospels and you start to read what it's saying, I think you get something like this, that Jesus is announcing that the rule and reign of God is coming in full over all of his creation. That now that he's here, that God himself has stepped into his creation and what he's about to do, that he's inaugurating this kingdom and it's going to come in fullness. And it's not just overthrowing Rome and it's not setting up Jesus on a throne in the Middle East over a certain area. It's something far greater. And it's going to come through what Jesus does. And what's going to happen is like what the prophet says, uh, 
what God says to the prophet Habakkuk in chapter two. He says, the glory of the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. It's going to be everywhere. The fullness of God's glory is coming in this way. And Jesus is saying, I'm bringing this kingdom. And he's telling us as he goes and as he teaches and he preaches, he starts to tell us how it comes. And even here, if you look closely, he starts to tell us what it looks like. What the fullness of what this looks like. Now, he's telling us how it comes if you look closely throughout the Gospels. I've been highlighting this even recently as we were now in the third year of Jesus' ministry. He keeps talking about how he's going to die. Right? They're saying, you'll never die and you're going to be king. And he goes, stop, I am going to die. They're going to deliver me over and I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. And he keeps telling them this and nobody gets it. Nobody understands because they're thinking too small. And Jesus is trying to expand their vision. It's not an earthly king kingdom. He's not going to just be a king ruling over a certain area. He's coming to make all things new. He's coming to bring the rule and reign of God in everything by defeating sin and death itself. Not just the things, the, the byproducts of it. And so what we do is we think far too small. And so when they're trying to talk about Jesus overthrowing governments, he goes, no, 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 I'm going to die. And I'm going to lay down my life. And I'm going to be raised again. And this is the way this is going to happen. And so I say this all the time. We talk about this frequently here. Hopefully you know this and you know the truth of it. We just sang it. The power of the cross. He who came became sin for us. He bore the wrath. He took our place. Jesus comes to defeat sin itself. C.S. Lewis said that when Jesus comes, that we think of him in our view of things. Like he's coming to remodel my house. He's going to put some new paint up and redecorate. And then all of a sudden we realize he's, he's tearing down walls. He, he's not coming to redecorate or rearrange the things. He's coming to make reason that it has to be that he lays his life down is for God's rule and reign to come in all things sin has to be dealt with. And the only way that it can be dealt with is by Jesus doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so he lives this perfect life. He honors God in everything. He's showing us what it looks like to live following God in everything. But the reality is none of us has been able to do that. And so he's showing us what he looks like, but he's also doing it for us. And so then he comes to the end of his life and he deserves all the blessings that comes with living this life perfectly. And he says, no, I will become sin on your behalf. I will take your sin upon myself and I will pay for it what you deserve. Now, this is so important. Why does that have to be? And the answer is because God is perfectly just and he's perfectly merciful, right? Perfect wrath. Perfect wrath is God is angry at all the things that are not good. And he must be or he ceases to be God. But he's also perfectly loving and perfectly gracious. So how can those things exist together? And the only way is Jesus steps in and says, I will bear the wrath for you. So that God is still perfectly wrathful. He is perfectly just, but he's also perfectly merciful. And on the cross, he brings all those things together. That's the way his kingdom is coming. And that's why he keeps talking about dying. That's why he keeps saying, that's why he says here at the end of this passage, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's talking about these things and he's saying them over and over and nobody's quite seeing it, but that's what he's saying. 
And so I want you to think about him expanding our vision of what the kingdom looks like. So often in our life, we shrink it. We put God in a box and we go, yeah, I believe him and he's my savior, but now I'm going to go about building my kingdom. And he's going, no, 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 my kingdom's way bigger than this. It's way greater. Live expectantly of this kingdom that is coming because of what Jesus has done. And so look at what he says here. He begins to tell a parable to help us understand. Verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Right? And so he's telling us to live expectantly. If you, if you look at the context, what he's talking about here right before, what he's saying, the master of the house in his parable is Jesus. He's talking about him returning in his second coming. He's talking about when I come, I want you to be ready and you should be living in light of what's coming. Right? Because he just said right before that, sell your stuff, give to the needy, provide for yourself with money bags that do not grow old. So he's saying do things that alert people to the kingdom that's coming. Don't build your own kingdom. And that's what he's saying. He's expanding our vision. Quit getting this tunnel vision about this kingdom being yours and what you do and your stuff and start to see bigger. And then he tells the story. So be ready when the master comes to the house and what that looks like. But then he says something here that is so remarkable. This happened. I wish I said this happened every week. It happens a lot. But I'll be reading a text that I've read a thousand times like this one. I've read it over and over and over again. And then I read a verse and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't know that I've ever seen that before like that. And I got to tell you, that happened this week. And I got so excited about us looking at this together because of what Jesus says in verse 37. He says, the master's going to come and he wants to find you awake and ready and waiting. And then he says in verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and he will serve them. I want you to think about what Jesus just said. When he returns in glory, right? Death, resurrection, ascension. We now live in this church age waiting this present darkness with all these things happening, he is coming, right? He even uses the analogy here about keep your lamp burning because we're living in very dark times. And he says, but when the master comes and he finds you awake, he's going to have you recline at his table and he's going to serve you. This is Jesus in all his glory returning and you're going to stand before him. Remember, remember the beginning of this passage. It says, beware of the hypocrites. God sees everything. Nothing's hidden. We're all sinful. He knows it no matter what face you put on. He knows the reality. And then right after that, he says, but if you confess me, I will confess you before the angels. You're saved by faith. You're saved by trusting and loving me and putting all your hope in me. And then he's going to return and you're going to stand before him and everything's going to be in the light. And in that moment, you're going to know how dreadfully sinful that you are. And then you're going to see that Jesus took all your sin for you. He did everything that you couldn't do. And then he's going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
and you're going to know that everything good that you ever did was because of his grace. And it is going to be so clear. And there he is in all his glory. And then he's going to say, sit at my table. And it says he's going to dress himself for service. You know what that means? It's like when somebody puts on their workout clothes, right? Or you go work in the yard and you get dressed to do what you're going to do. It says Jesus is going to dress himself for service and he's going to seat you at his table and then he's going to serve you. Uh, I, I don't even know what to say to that. The God of the universe with all the power that he has and his perfect love and everything that you're made for is going to invite you into his presence and then he's going to use all of his energy and his power and his love and his glory and he's going to serve you. Is that not the most amazing thing that you can think of? Does that not expand your vision of what his kingdom could be? So often we just go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Now let me get back to my stuff. I don't want to get back to my stuff. I want to see his glory coming in full. And I read that this week. I texted my brother and I said, can you believe this verse? And he texted back and he said, full of glory, our savior, but still a servant. I thought, oh, yes. And that's what he tells us. And that's what he says here. He's going to come and serve us in this way. And I'm going to tell you, we don't have words for it. No matter how I try, I can't explain to you the glory of what that's going to be. There's a few verses, though, that I think help get you to it. Colossians chapter 3 says, When Christ, your life appears, and the word used there is zoe, the fullness of your life, what you were created for. When Christ, your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. We read over those things. We gloss over it. We miss what that word actually means. When Christ, the very thing that you were created for, that is everything that you hope and dream, that is everything that you've ever desired, appears, you are going to be like him in glory. Wow. You hear how amazing that is. 1 Corinthians 2 says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. That's what's coming. Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's the kingdom that's coming. That's what Jesus is saying. How often he tells those parables and he has that one line in there and we gloss right over it. That when the master comes, he's going to seat you at his table and he's going to serve you. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Jesus is calling us to trust in him and trust in his kingdom and what's coming and the glory that's to be revealed. And I truly believe if we would start our day, if we would put that before us, if that reality, because of what Jesus has done, and we can trust it because of the resurrection, because of what he has accomplished, it's not just blind faith, it's because he came and he died and he rose again and he's done this work and he's finished it. It is coming. Late in his life, he said, Jonathan Edwards used to get up each morning and he'd meditate on heaven for 20 minutes before he did anything else. 
He's expand his vision of the kingdom that's coming and what God is doing. And then go and live out of that reality. And so what would it look like if we began to do that and began to operate that way? But if you look closely at what Jesus says here, he tells us, though, that it's easy for us to lose that vision. It's easy for us, if you use the analogy of what he's saying here, to go to sleep, to forget this, right? Like if he, if he tells us here in verse 35, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. They're keeping their lamps burning because it's nighttime, right? Ancient times, there's no electricity. Somebody's coming to your house. You got to keep the lamp burning so they can find it and they can see it. I don't know, maybe, maybe some of you live way out in the country here, away from everything, you turn off all your lights. What about, it's completely dark. We don't usually experience that today because we have electricity everywhere, but that's the case. So he's talking about the darkness and coming. And so keeping your lamps burning, being ready is staying awake. It's now nighttime. Or if you look at verse 43, it says, Blessed is the, who is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. And he's talking about the the comparison between going to sleep, growing weary of his return, letting the darkness overshadow you versus staying awake. And the reason he's saying it is because there's a real temptation to get overwhelmed by the things of this present age. Right. The Bible says this. We live if, if you take biblically what it says, we live in the last days. Biblically speaking, the last days have been from Jesus's ascension until he returns. Those are the last days. We're 2,000 plus years in counting, but all of that's the last days. And the Bible talks about the darkness that will come and what will happen and the struggles that will be there. And we see it. We see it all around us. All these things that are seeking to pull us away. These things that are seeking for us to go to sleep. And so I want you just to think about what that means for a second. If we're going to resist going to sleep, what does that even mean? What does it look like to be asleep? Uh, good example. This happens to me probably at least once a week. Joanna and I will say, uh, long day, whatever she'll go. You want to watch a show or we'll talk about, Hey, you want to finish that movie we were watching and we'll get all set up and we'll turn it on. And I start to doze off, right? I'm watching, I'm engaged. And then all of a sudden I'm waking up, like waking myself up. And I didn't even realize, right? And you know what happens? I, I startle myself awake and I look. I see if she noticed. Sometimes she's laughing at me. Sometimes she's like <laughs> wiping the drool off my mouth. <laughs> sometimes she doesn't notice. Sometimes she's dozing off too. But sometimes you doze off and you wake up and then what happens? You, you look at the movie and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. I don't even know who these people are. And then I'm like, I'm so tired. I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> I don't even want to try to know anymore. Just let me go to sleep. And that's what it looks like. But I want you to think about that. When you start to doze off like that, you lose the plot. The same thing happens spiritually. We start to get taken into the things of the world. And really, when you think about what it means to be asleep, is we kind of miss the plot. We turn to the temporal over the eternal. We forget the glory of what is coming. And when we do, instead of keeping our eyes fixed on God's kingdom and being part of that and bringing the fullness of that and revealing of that, we start to build our own kingdom. We start to make it about our things and our stuff. In fact, I think Jesus even says that in these parables he's telling here. Right? Verse 42, 
the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. And he says, truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at that hour, he does not know. And he will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. You go, whoa, that's pretty intense there. But what's he saying? Saying when you start to go to sleep spiritually, right? Same thing there. Beginning, keep your light lamp burning. Be prepared for action. Be dressed for action. Be ready. But then the one that doesn't, it looks like verse 45. Begins to take advantage of the people around them. Begins to eat and drink and get drunk. Begins to focus on temporal pleasures of this life rather than God's glory. And how easy that begins to overtake everything and what that looks like. And that's what it looks like to be asleep. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. Or maybe today it's uh, YOLO, you only live once. I don't even know if that's still a saying. I'm probably way out of date on that. That was probably like 10 years ago. But those kind of things, right? Like that, that mentality. It's like hedonism. Right? Get as much pleasure as you can right now because that's all there is. And how easy that starts to seep in and be part of your life and what it looks like. But then in, G- in verse 46, Jesus says, when the master comes and he finds you in that. He says, he's going to cut you to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And you go, whoa, it's pretty intense. The Bible talks this way a lot. It has these warnings over and over. And it's very stark in the way Jesus talks about it. And I want to be clear that what it, what it says and what it doesn't say. You're not saved by your works. If Jesus shows up, Jesus returns and you're in traffic and you're blaring the horn and you're angry, that doesn't mean that you get left out. Right? We, we all struggle with sin. We all have times. But what the Bible says is that if you're the entirety of your life is marked by sinfulness, with no fruit in your life, then you probably don't know Jesus. And that's kind of what he's describing here. The person who's gone to sleep that doesn't care. That has embraced the things of the world and doesn't care about the things of God. And that marks their entire life. And he says, if that's the case, then the ends of that are you're going to be put away from him. And so that warning is there over and over. But let's be careful. Remember what he said earlier, those that confess me before men, I will confess you before the angels of heaven. You're saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. But that true faith in your life, you've transferred your trust to Jesus, your life is going to begin to change. And those works don't save you. You could never do enough works to save you before a holy, righteous God, but they are evidence that you're his. And the warning is there that if there's zero evidence, there's no reason to believe that you're his. And so we start to doze off when we become about the things of the world. We become about the temporal over the eternal. So what does it look like to be awake? He tells us here to be dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Blessed is the one who's doing these things when Jesus returns. What does it look like to stay awake? It's to live in light of the reality of who God is and what he's done for you and Jesus and to see everything from that vantage point. To let your life be taken with who God is and the way he's working. 
What does it mean to keep your, your lamps burning? Right? Think about the analogy there. It's dark outside and it's hard to keep your eyes awake. And so keep those lamps burning and stay awake. How do we do that in a really sinful world that's really dark and it's really hard to do so? It's a constant effort to keep a fresh grasp on the magnificent magnificence of who Jesus is. And that's a daily discipline of seeking his face every day. Seeing the eternal over the temporal, continuing to seek him in everything. So how do we do that? How do we live awake and not asleep? I think there's a couple things that he tells us here that are real helpful when you think about it. Verse 35, he says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. I love the way it says that. Live your life expectantly of the return of Jesus. Be excited for what he's doing. Live your life expectantly for the dawning of the fullness of his kingdom. Right? He's already ruling and reigning and he's bringing it. And we're seeing little bits and pieces of it breaking in now, but it's going to come in full. And he says, so live that way. Live expectantly of that. And the way in which you live expectantly of that is you seek his face daily. You behold him. You open God's word. And you pray and you seek him. But I tell you too that you do it in community. Have you ever really tried to stay awake when you're just so exhausted? Have you ever had that experience? It's a lot easier if you have somebody there with you. If somebody's sitting next to you and kind of you're nudging each other and you're talking and you're keeping your brain engaged, it's a lot easier together than it is in isolation. And so seeking God's face daily. And reminding each other of the goodness of who he is. Spending time in his word and praying and speaking of him and saying those things. The spiritual disciplines that the Bible tells us of over and over. Put that right in front of you every day. Maybe it's we need to pick up Jonathan Edwards' practice of meditating on heaven to start our day every single day. The fullness of his kingdom and what it looks like. But then that's not all. Yes, it's all those things, but it's also then beginning to live in reality, the light of the reality of his kingdom. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart is also. Beginning to go out and seek to live out his kingdom right now. I heard it said once many years ago, Michael Frost is a a professor from Australia, and I love the way he says this. He says, God's kingdom is dawning, and it's coming in full, and we're kind of outposts of his kingdom right now. We're exiles living in a strange land, waiting for him to return. And he said, think of your life as making trailers for the fullness of what's coming. Right? Like, what's a trailer for a movie? It's all the little best pieces of what's coming. And so begin to live like that. Think about this for a second. If everything that you need and you desire and you ever want is coming in full when Jesus returns. You don't have to hold on to the things that are in front of you. You don't have to try to build your kingdom. 
Right? We go, I'm going to live this life. I only have one life to live. I'm going to live it to the fullest. I got to do all these things. And if I don't do all these, then I'm going to miss out. Well, guess what? It's going to be better when he comes. I don't know about you, but that has been such a great joy to me this year. There's all these things that I think I would like to do. Right? My, my first degree was architecture. I want to build houses. I want to build my own house. And I hope I get to. But I may not. And I've come to the reality is it doesn't matter. Because I'm going to stand in glory with Jesus and it's going to be far beyond anything that I could ever imagine. And I'm not going to go, man, I wish I would have spent more time building that house. I'm going to get all of it in full in Him. And it's freed me from thinking, oh no, I have to give all my time to this thing over here. It's rearranged my thinking that I get to pursue the kingdom now. And nothing that I do pursuing his kingdom will ever be, well, that was a waste of time. Ever. It's a great freedom in that. And so begin to think about how you live in light of his kingdom that's coming. And that's what he says here. Verse 41, when it talks about the one is the faithful and wise manager who the master set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find him doing so when he comes. And so I want to just end here and I want you to think about this. Are you asleep or are you awake? I think the reality is, if you're a believer and you love Jesus, you're awake. You were dead in your trespasses and sins and he's caused you to become alive in Jesus, you're awake. But there's times when we start to doze off. And so how do we gird up ourselves? Keep the lamp burning. Do the things that he's calling us to do. How do we proclaim the kingdom right here and now? We get this time to do so. But the ends is secure. And if the ends are secure, then that's like, I don't have anything to lose. There's nothing that I give away for that that I'm ever going to be like, man, I lost out. I know the ends. So let us live in light of that. Let us live awake of who Jesus is. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you tell us here. I pray that we would see afresh today what you say there in verse 37, that you are going to return in your glory and you are going to seat us at your banqueting table and everything that we've ever desired or wanted is going to be found in you. We thank you that that is true. I pray right now for those that are sitting here today and that seems very far away that are struggling with the things of this life and the cares and the struggles and all that goes with it, would you expand our vision of what you're doing, of what is coming? Would you help us to rest in light of the glory that is to come? We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you have finished this work. Help us to live expectantly in light of what is true and what is coming in you. And we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.